Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. To afternoons with Bill Arnold. Thank you for being with me today. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. It is uh, looking slightly more spring-like, which I think is making everyone a little bit happier. I've got my Bible open to Psalm chapter 73, and I love this verse. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. What a great way to get things started. It's going to be a wonderful show. As always, I always like to start Mondays with my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa, uh, the prestigious town of West Des Moines, Patrick Albanese. Patrick, welcome to the show. Well, I, I feel very welcome. I feel very I, well, welcome. Well, you are. Yeah. Psalm, although I did, I, I, uh, I hurt myself cutting open a box of uh, warning labels that oh, I was going I to affix that to happens. some items. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't say anything on the box, so. <laughs> <laughs> so did you learn anything at all over the weekend? Well, you know me. I, t- I tend to learn very little. <laughs> but uh, the things that I do learn, they're important. I actually learned a couple of things. First off, uh, did you know that during the plague of 1665, uh, Sir Isaac Newton uh, was a little bit afraid to go out? Uh, I mean, the, the, at that point in time, the plague had already wiped out uh, 25% of the people living in London. And so while he was uh, quarantining himself, he invented or he discovered gravity, optics, and he invented calculus. I painted a window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I so grew some I mold like I, on a cheese, a piece of cheese, because yes. I didn't press that Ziploc bag tight enough. What is it about those things? I, first up, they're hard enough to get open, but they don't line up properly. They never and, do. Yeah, I mean, my solution is just eat the whole bag of cheese and you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> and it's not well, it's always fresh. Well. It's always fresh. Yes. Yeah. Where were well, those a, when we were kids? That is a very interesting piece of news. I do think there will be a lot of uh, discoveries and things that have uh, people have done constructively during this COVID time. And I, I know I've spoken to some people who have done absolutely nothing <laughs> productive, but I'm sure yes. there'll be great stories coming out of people who have accomplished lots. Well, can you imagine if, if social media had existed back then, you know, Newton gets on, you know, whatever they would have called it back then and says, yeah, I'm working on this idea for a whole new form of math. Uh, it's called calculus. It's going to solve all kinds of problems. And then people would say, you know, I just think this is a complete waste of your time. <laughs> I don't think you're that bright of a guy. I don't know why you're what, – what are you doing? Why are you polluting my timeline with this? Show me the cat oh, right. pictures. Show me the right. cat pictures. Gosh, exactly. gravity. What, what's gotten into you, Isaac? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful that, uh, that social media did not exist to thwart Isaac Newton's many discoveries. Uh, I'm, better, I'm with you on that one. So yeah. you also discovered something that you'd mentioned to me briefly about – uh, something at Disney World. You know, I went to Disney World once, and I I didn't like it because it was just too touristy. <laughs> right. Yes. 
it's almost like everybody is from somewhere else. <laughs> I know. How can you enjoy yourself? But yeah, you learned something yeah. I found interesting, almost slightly diabolical. Almost slightly diabolical, but clever nonetheless that the the um, the flags are not official U.S. flags. They'll maybe only have 49 stars on them or they'll lack a stripe. Uh, and a friend of mine who is a, a big Disney aficionado had uh, uh, sent this to me. And he said that the purpose is just so that you don't have to do proper flag protocol. You don't have to always take it down and fold it properly, that you can you can treat it like an employee, I guess. <laughs> and uh, that was that's why they do it. It, it. Somebody probably ran the numbers and said, you know, if we just don't put a real flag up there, we could save all this money having to take that thing up and down all the time. So maybe it has 45 stars and, and fewer stripes, that kind of thing, but it, they've been yeah. reconfigured. Uh, so it looks like it's a regular regulation flag, but they don't call it a flag. They call it a pennant. What would would anybody even look that closely at? Of course not. Of course not. I mean, you know, I've been in the hall of the presidents that Lincoln wasn't very convincing either. (laughs) (laughs) Now they're much better now. They've, they've, you know, the animatronics are, I actually had a friend that used to work at Imagineering and I got to go on a tour, uh, he took me on a tour of the place where they show the robotics back. This would be, you know, 1990 or something like that. So the state of the art back then was, you know, not that great, but it was still pretty amazing to watch them building. He took me where they build the robots that eventually become things like the presidents or like a Chuck E. Cheese bear. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to get those two confused, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so it was very. I don't know if you followed any of uh, the Tiger Woods accident. I, I felt terribly sorry for him, and it's. Uh, I guess it always reminds me that the speed at which things in life can change. It is. It's startling. Uh, mm, it really is. You know, I got. Uh, I think I told you. Yeah, well, you know this, uh, but uh, and I don't think we talked about it last week. But uh, I got contacted by a friend uh, about two weeks ago, saying that another mutual friend of ours, fifty years old. Uh, had a brain aneurysm and just died. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was at the funeral uh, a few days ago. Um, and it's it was very surreal for me because my father was 50 years old when he died. And uh, so, you know, all the people milling about that were his contemporaries were, you know, in their mid to late 40s, 50s and 60s. And so now I'm in that situation looking at a very young man uh, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, this it, it for some reason, it flashed me back to 1974, mm. uh, as do many deaths. That was the first one I experienced as a kid, uh, you know, it was my father. But it, it, this one was for some reason very, very surreal and just like minding your own business one day and then something, any, anything can happen. Mm. Anything can happen. Yeah. Uh, I read a, a very interesting book that talked about the the loss that sort of lasts forever, and that's when you uh, don't reach your age of eighteen, and one of your parents dies. So that's kind of one of the losses that lives forever, and because you never have a chance to sort of more humanize that parent, and you end up always wondering what things would have been like. And I I hear this in your heart, Patrick, because I know you've. You were 15 or so when you lost your dad? 13. 13, yeah. So, uh, and, and it's funny you should mention that cutoff because my brother was 19 
And yeah, we still talk about it to this day. And, you know, occasionally he'll say, he goes, well, you didn't know the dad that I knew. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, uh, it doesn't mean that my dad wasn't. He was very he was strict. He was a, a military man, um, you know, for a short period of his life. But uh, the discipline from it kind of stuck with him. And when you're raising eight kids, you know, things are an apple pie order. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I do remember like in my brother's instance, you know, when he decided he didn't want to go to college you know, at the ripe young age of whatever it was, 18 or something like that. My dad said, I think that's great. Whatever you want to do. However, you can't live here. Uh, you know, if you want to make your way in the world, if that's what you're telling me, then let's get going. Mm-hmm. Let's get going. And of course, you know, an 18 year old's thinking, well, I'd, li- I'd like a free ride for a couple of years if I, <laughs> if I could. <laughs> Uh, but my dad would have none of that. He was, he was a lot like that. And, uh, uh, you know, it's not that he treated me necessarily indifferently, but, uh, I always knew how to be on, on his good side because we had so much in common math and magic. And, uh, uh, there were, there were things, you know, that, um, that he, he looked at me and said, that's my, uh, that, that kid has a kindred spirit. And years later, that's the thing that my mom would always say, and aunts and uncles, they'd say, you are the carbon copy of your dad. Carbon copy, and it's probably why your mom had this, like, soft spot. And she didn't mean she let me get away with anything, but I never tried anything. Mm, that's so such oh. a sweet story. And I oh. also remember that when you turned 18, that if you decided to continue to live at the house, you started to pay rent. I mean, it wasn't a whole lot of money, but you still had to make a contribution. And I thought yes. that was a very interesting life lesson that your parents were, were giving the kids. Yeah, it's a, I mean, I remember saving up money to buy a car and, uh, you know, when I finally was, it took me, oh, two years to convince my mom to let me buy one. And the minute I did, she kicked me off of her insurance policy. She said, you want a car? You, you get everything that goes with it. You might as well get used to this. In fact, I had the cash for the car and she made me take out a loan because she wanted me to learn what it was like to make payments. She said, I'd like you to keep some money in reserve and I'd like you to learn what it's like to make payments because that's going to be the rest of your life. (laughs) (laughs) Especially if you buy that car you're looking at. (laughs) But yeah, so, you know, I turned 18 and, you know, wasn't uh, zipping off to college and, you know, this the late 70s. So 20 bucks a week plus a portion of the phone bill. Because, uh, you know, anything past calling like the next door neighbor was not a local call. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> That's so true. You're charged by the minute to call somebody, you know, in the next town over. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. I'm on, that, w- that was $3 to call you. <laughs> yeah. Was it worth it? Of course. Of course. He learned you how, That's how we learned how to be very, very short on the phone. Yeah. My, my wife was amazed at that, by the way. I, one time we were sitting at dinner. She says, did you have... I can't remember. She was asking about hair color or eye color when I was a baby. I said, I don't know. So I, I pick up my phone. I call my mom. I say, hey, hey, mom, hey, uh, um, what color uh, hair did I have? You know, blonde. Okay, thanks. Love you. Bye. And that was the end of the conversation. And my, at that time, not my wife, but she said, she says, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. You can call your mother and get off the phone in 30 seconds. Go, it's, a, it's something It's something only my family can do. I've never seen anybody else's family that can do this. Uh, and my mom's not like, well, wait, 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 tell me what's going on. She's like, that it? Okay, got to go. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. Your mom was great. Yeah. All right, Patrick, uh-huh. let me take a little break. When we come back, I want to talk about how the cancel culture has affected you, if at all. And is it okay 
for companies to start dropping products and services if they don't agree with what's going on in the world? And is that fair to the employees that want to make their living? And I'm just wondering if that's good business. Take a little break. Patrick Albanese is my guest, my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa. We'll be right back. I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. That music says that my guest would be Patrick Albanese, my friend from the great state of Iowa. Hey, Patrick, a listener, Jim, just jumped in and wanted to know, so did his brother go to college or not? He did not. There you go. Uh, he he went into the he went to learn how to make custom golf clubs for a while, and then uh, he was in Cincinnati. Then he moved down to Florida with me and uh, my sister. Uh, he was doing aluminum siding, and he decided he was going to buy a computer and learn how to uh, do computer programming. And he became good enough at it to finally land a couple of jobs. And then he got into uh, six startups. Five of them failed. And then number six uh, kicked in, and he did very well. Nice. What a good he's, story. He's he's, he's a, a master of discipline and just you know getting right back to bat. I mean, it's like you invested two years in this company, and they gave you all the stock, which is worthless now. Mm-hmm. And you're starting again. You're going to do that again. Okay. So, are you saying he was a self-taught computer programmer? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 the, the most difficult thing for him in getting his first jobs, uh, computer programming, is they said you have abs- you don't have anything in college. I mean, you haven't even taken an English class. Uh, he says, <laughs> that, "I speak." That don't even matter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, but he finally found somebody to give him a chance. You know, as like this junior programmer, and you know, even at the time he was already getting into his forties and everybody else was, you know, 20 years younger than him. He's driving an old Chevy Impala and everybody else is driving BMWs. And he's like, discipline, 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 discipline. Don't buy the BMW yet. Save your money because who knows if this thing's, if, what, if it doesn't work, I'm going to be broke. So, uh, you know, uh, when, when the final company did hit, he bought himself a nice car. Nice. He said, now I can buy a nice car. Yeah. Now, to get back to the question I asked before he we went to the LeSabre. break. <laughs> he bought what? A LeSabre, you know, instead of the Impala. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> the question I asked right before the break, I was wondering, is it wise for businesses to say, boy, I don't like your politics, therefore I'm not carrying your products. Um, is that is that a, a fair way to do business? Is that uh, is that – do you want to cancel 50% of your customers possibly? You know, I'm, I'm, I guess the maybe people don't think that it will ever come back to haunt them. You know, is is all I can ever figure. I, you know, you assume that des, that decisions are made, and you know, like sometimes I'll I'll look at. I, um, I've had a lot of friends that were in the advertising business, and the older people tend to get pushed out, and they bring in these young people fresh out of uh, college. And so their experience is, you know, a little bit different. And so when they start saying, you know, here, we're going to change the, we're going to put different types of couples in here. And we're going to say this about this company because that's social justice. You know, 
in their world, they don't ever see the downside of it. They're fresh out of college, and that's kind of what they were surrounded by. And, you know, companies think, well, we hired these these young smarties, and uh, they know what they're doing. So I think mistakes sometimes get made that, that uh, you know, hopefully there are people who are saying, well, you know, is this good for business or bad for business? And one of the things I often say to people about like that issue, I said, you know, if you're if you're all excited or upset that, you know, the detergent company put um, a gay couple in an ad, understand they're just after their money. They they don't feel one way or another about that gay couple, whether they support it or don't. They probably had a business meeting and said, will we get more business than we lose or not? And the mm -hmm. minute that the answer to that question is yes, they say, then let's do it. If if that, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I have, I have a, a, a particular type of bar of soap that I, I like and, uh, they went and they changed the formula and I write them and they say, well, we do this occasionally. And I thought, why are we, you know, this is, it's such a great soap. And they changed the formula. And then I look up soap sales and they were near the bottom. And I thought, well, that's why they changed the formula. They said, nobody likes our soap except that one guy. <laughs> except you. <laughs> yeah. They, they, so they said, is it worth risking losing Patrick Albanese as a customer with this eye-burning formula <laughs> we've concocted, skin-drying, eye-burning, sneeze-inducing yeah. formula. But it held the stink they down, said, didn't it? Yes. Yeah. Pardon? It held the stink down, didn't it? It did. Yeah. It did. So and nobody it. was getting close enough to find out anyway. Yeah. Like, I don't know what's going on, but your skin is actually melting. I believe your skin is actually melting. <laughs> and of course, what was the bar of soap that advertised 99 and and 92% pure, and I always thought, pure what? Yeah, <laughs> I think, wasn't that Dove? Was it Dove? Might have been Dove, yeah. You know, and you, just... there's a part, this is one of my constant jokes with my kids. I'll pick them up from school, and, and they'll say, hey, I had a math test today. You know, I got 100, and I'll be like, well, try harder next time. Because <laughs> it's just, you know, part of the fun. And I remember that commercial, you say, so that's the best you can do, huh? 99.2%, that's it? Yeah. You guys are quit now. You you can't just push for that hundred. They were quitters. Yeah. Oh goodness. Very funny. So yeah. Here's a here's a topic I don't know if I understand, and probably it would be helpful to do it when I could get some audience input, some listener feedback, because you and I go to the gym all the time, and yeah. when I see somebody sporting kind of an interesting tattoo, and do they want me to ask questions about the tattoo or is that considered rude or none of your business or are you wearing a tattoo and making it visible because you want somebody to comment on it or not? Because I see some pretty yeah. interesting tats at the gym or, you know, when you're in line somewhere and you're, yeah. you want to just strike up a conversation with somebody and hopefully share the Lord with them. But you well, don't even know if it's considered etiquette proper or not. Okay, let me ask you this question. You're in line for a cup of coffee, and the guy in front of you is wearing a purple fedora with a pink feather. <laughs> Do you think he yeah. wants you to notice that hat? I would think he would. I would think I would that think would say, look at me. But I, I no, don't know. And I know, I know, I know you well enough to, to know that you would completely ignore it, and you would comment on his shoes. <laughs> That's true. You That's would say true. something like, you, you probably get this all the time. This is one of my favorite things. For somebody who who looks like somebody, yeah, I'll often say, I said, you probably get this all the time, but has anybody ever told you that you look just like my sister Carol? <laughs> <laughs> you look just like my college roommate. 
Yeah, and then we're like, oh, that yes, I do get that all the time. Yeah, but I, I think I think a tattoo because it's wearable art. Uh, you know, if you invited somebody into your home, you would love them to notice your art. And I and I do think, you know, I don't think you would pull down somebody's sock and say, I just checking to see if you have an ankle tattoo because I really love those. I think they're fantastic. <laughs> yeah, you know, but but if somebody's wearing one, and in these days, like you say at the gym, they're they're they can be rather prominent and they can be an amazing work of art. Now, I like I've never been a fan of getting one for myself, with the exception of I was thinking of getting an all over suntan put on That'd so that nice. I looked like George Hamilton. I call it the tan too. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I've, worked, I've worked it all out. It was just, it yeah. sounds like I have to get the whole body done. That would be kind of painful, but I, I think it's okay to, to notice it and, and, and comment on it. But you know, I see tons of, of spiritual art and I see scripture verses. And to me, it's just like an open invitation to say, that is a really awesome verse. Tell me what it means to I, you. Uh, I will always people, kind of scripture. First. Yeah, I don't know always. if people want to be bothered or not, or if they go, oh, please, just let me work out. I don't want to be talking about my tats. Yeah, I guess. It's, uh, you know, but there was a place I used to uh, go with my friend when we were building props for magicians, and this place did metal polishing, and the guy that did all the work, he had a bunch of tattoos on his face, and I said, I just don't know if I can comment on these because <laughs> I don't know if these are good ideas. I don't know if these mm-hmm. are good ideas. You know, uh, but uh, we, we always knew, let's go see Tattoo Guy, the Tattoo Face Guy. You know, it's, uh, I, I would comment on, I, I have commented, uh, especially if I see something, uh, some are beautiful. Yeah, but I'm wondering if there's any listeners that have tats that really hope people do comment on their tats because they want to talk about them. And they use it as a way of, of starting and initiating conversations with other people too. Yeah. I do. I, I believe that. But you know what? I, I think you're right about the listener engagement on that one, because you and I, you don't have any tattoos, do you? I do not. You were going to get a freckle ones, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that didn't work. I decided against it. You were afraid of that I, needle. You're going, how long is this going to take? About a yeah. minute. That's eh, a little too rich for my blood. <laughs> and some great wisdom just came in from a listener. Bill and Patrick, I don't have one, but generally speaking, like anything, it comes down to the individual. Some won't mind sharing the reason for it while others may. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I, I think that, you know, especially ones that have Bible verses, I think, you know, that's I believe that person's way of sharing gospel. I agree. Something that's really that important to them. Yeah, and so they would be very open to a conversation of like, I love that passage. I love that passage. And I admire that you've gotten it, you know, permanently put on you. Yeah, that's awesome. Patrick, yeah. thanks so much for uh, doing the show today. Look forward to talking to you again next week. And I always enjoy getting things started on Mondays with uh, with you. Yeah, me too. Tons of fun. All right. Thanks so much. Patrick Albanese has been my guest, my friend and colleague from that great state of Iowa. We'll take a little break. When we come back, we'll have the Monday afternoon mix with Pastor David Miles. Be right back.
I love Mondays. I love Mondays for so many reasons. I want to also say I love Tuesdays and Wednesdays. But, you know, I love every day of the week because I get to spend it with you. And these are the some of the most wonderful hours where we encourage one another and we pray for each other and we learn from God's Word. And the Monday afternoon mix is always a favorite of mine because Pastor David Miles has got so many deep and interesting thoughts and he thinks a lot about God's Word, and that's my favorite thing to think about and dwell on. He is the pastor of New Hope Church in New Hope, Minnesota, and also an adjunct professor right here at the University of Northwestern. David, welcome, brother. Hello, Bill. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good. So good to see you, my brother. It's good to see you. I think we're going to talk today about a very interesting topic, and this question is, I'll, I'll pose the question, who has your attention? Where do we start with that one? Where do we start with that one? Well, Bill, we start with a number of different ways uh, that attention is grabbed. And I mean, like, so we've had a number of things that have happened this year. And, uh, you know, we just crossed a year uh, on the pandemic and, you know, half a million people uh, have passed away. But like, literally for a number of us, we, I didn't know what a COVID was a year ago. And, and that was like kind of crazy. And then we had, you know, events that have um, just transpired in everyday life. Um, I've had the opportunity of doing a homegoing service uh, for one family and, you know, walking with other people through just different things. Had had a, one of my son's friends, um, stepdad, had surgery this morning. Um, we've watched things with George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and uh, we're getting ready to turn the corner here in the state next week as we start a trial. Uh, We've, we've gone through election season. We've gone through an insurrection on our, our capital. We've gone through Tom, Tom Brady getting his seventh Super Bowl title. And that's quite something when Minnesota Vikings fans don't even have one. Yeah, we figured out the other day that the Super Bowl has been played for 55 years and Tom Brady has participated in 19% of them. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so anyway, that's kind of crazy. Point, yes, we've been through a lot this year. Well, Bill, the other thing that gets our attention is advertisement. I mean, one fascinating thing is that there there was a Forbes along with permission.io had had an article and they noted that in 1970 the average American saw between 500 and 1600 advertisements a day. That seems like a lot, you know. That seems like a ton. Yeah, but then in 1996 it jumped up to 3500. And then in 2007, it jumped to 5,000. And they're saying this year that the average American sees anywhere between six and 10,000 advertisements a day. And that's I don't know just, how they come up with that calculation, but it's interesting. Well, one of the things is that the food supermarket industry, uh, they had noted that, you know, some of the just very standard uh, grocery stores have, you know, up to about 46,000 different types of product in their store. So, okay. like, you can walk down an aisle, and, go, and all of a sudden you got 1,000, gotcha. you're done. You right. Know? So, okay. so with all of that advertisement, um, uh, there's, there's been a market for it. And so, like, last year alone, Google made $134 billion just in their advertising, and Facebook $69 billion. So, so what, what, what's all this mean? We, we've, we've talked a little bit about uh, that Netflix documentary, Social Dilemma, 
And it was just, it was an expose. It's really, actually, really good. And Tammy and I sat down and watched it with our kids. And they, they do these interviews with some of the tech geniuses that developed all the different platforms that we're used to. And they said what was interesting is that so many things had evolved from something positive into becoming a testing lab on the human brain and money-making machines. Now, I just want to share a couple quotes with you from this show. One of the quotes was, how much of your life can we get you to give us? Okay, David, that is chilling. Yeah. That is chilling. So Daniel Hoverman, another individual, said, if you're not paying for the product, then you are the product. Mm. Now you add, that. you add Edward Tuffle's statement, there are only two industries that call their customers users, illegal drugs and software. Oh, that's interesting. But the one that really kind of, <laughs> that kind of got me was this. Uh, Justin Rothenstein said this, we're the product. Our attention is the product being sold to advertisers. Wow. And so this morning, you know, that's, that's, that's why there's so many different things. It's not necessarily that a number of these things want our money. They know that if they can get and hold our attention, then that'll follow. Um, but Peter, you know, we're going to look at Second Peter today. And Peter was writing to a group of believers, this diverse group of believers that chapter First uh, Peter 1, 1 talks about they're dispersed all over. And uh, he's writing to them during a time that there, there were false product or false teachers, and they were seeking to get them to take their attention off of what, what Peter calls Christ's precious and very great promises. And so in this time, um, you find Peter exalting the, the Christians there that he wants them to pay attention and to stand firm, you know, to stand firm in t- three things. He wanted them to stand firm in the memory of God's word in the majesty of God's word, and in the meaning of God's word, Bill. Mm, I love it. Isn't that sweet? It's so sweet. Well, he opens up the passage, um, you know, looking at, we'll look at chapter 12, and it, it opens up and says, Therefore, I always intended to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to recall at any time these things. And, you know, one of the very cool things, Bill, and I, I know you love talking about this, when, when you read Second uh, Peter chapter 1, in that very first chapter, like 17 different times, Peter highlights the name of Christ or a pronoun, him and him, he and him, referring back to Jesus. So, so for Peter, the centrality of it, it comes down that it's all about Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, Bill, how has Jesus impacted your life? Here on this March 1st of 2021, what, what's, what, what would be a good word on Jesus and Bill Arnold that he'd want to share with our group today? A complete exchange. My life for his. That is a great exchange. Mm-hmm. It actually doesn't seem like really a fair exchange because like we... <laughs> oh, trust me, it doesn't. We get so much more, you know, out of this, this, uh, this great exchange. What about you, David? 
Um, you know, it's similar. I mean, I, even as you were saying about that, I think of, you know, uh, Romans 5, 8, that, that verse that says that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I think, you know, so often when in life where where if we if we mess up or there's something deficient or there's something missing, it, it's people tend to to want to you know to run away from those things. And I love the beauty that when we had nothing at all to offer um, God, that He died for us, and now we've been justified by His blood, and that we've been saved from the wrath of God. And I love what verse ten says: If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. How much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? And I, I, I love how he goes on because because of that reality, we also rejoice. You know, we rejoice in what God has done. And I love, um, Bill, a, a gentleman stopped me in church on Sunday, and uh, he, was, he asked me this question. He said, Pastor David? I said, yeah. And he said, he goes, do you think it's strange that, you know, God opens all these doors for me to share the gospel with people. And when I sit and think about, when I sit and think about what he's done, and when I think about the opportunity to tell people about Jesus and wanting them to know, he goes, I just start crying. You know, he goes, it's just so amazing to me. And he goes, you know, he goes, do you find that weird? I'm like, no, not at all. You know. I couldn't agree more. That to me is the most moving conversation you can have with a person. And, you know, it really is. And I, I think that's part of one of the things that, that Peter was wanting uh, this group of believers to understand. You know, he's, he's wanting them to understand who Jesus is and the hope that we have even in his second coming. So in this, this first section, verses 12 through 15, when he's talking about the memory of God's word, Peter, he, he lays out his intention. He says, I intend to always remind them of the hope that we have in Christ. And he he says, then he goes a little bit further and he goes, I think it right as long as I'm in this body to st- stir you up by way of remembrance. Now, the reason why he says, I think it's right to stir you up because previously he said, you know these things and you're established in the truth that you already have. But Bill, there's a really important part that is brought out of verse 12 and 13 when Peter says that, and it's this. Truth, even when it's known, bears repeating. Amen to that. Let me say that again. Truth, even when it's known, bears repeating. And so, you know, one of the hard things right now is that we're, we're living in a, a season, um, kind of seems like the pro, prolific peddling of untruths. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's kind of been, uh, sometimes... You know, I had someone stop me on Sunday and they said, you know, I'm in marketing. So sometimes it feels like not everything that comes out is truthful. You know, I, I know that there's those who have noted how not necessarily truthful all are politicians all the time. And, you know, even in the last administration, something like 30,000 different misrepresentations. But even if you cut that down to, say, just 10,000, that, that's a lot. And it's not going to change even with the current one. I mean, for some reason... People, um, they find it hard to, to sometimes stay on the straight and narrow. John Stott said this. He said, hypocrisy is hideous. What cancer is to the body, hypocrisy is to the church. It is a killing agent. Unfortunately, 
hypocrisy is also addictive. And even though Jesus reserved his most severe words of condemnation for the hypocrite, Stott says we still prefer that lifestyle to truth and authenticity. That's some deep thinking. That is. And I think that's why Peter's saying here um, that truth, it bears repeating. Now, another reason, Bill, that it bears repeating, um, there was an article by GetBridge.com, and it talks about these, these 10 facts about learning retention that you wish you could forget. So yeah. like this, after one hour, people retain less than half of the information presented. After one day, people forget more than 70%. After six days, people forget 75%. But listen to this. It says, to learn, the brain builds on existing knowledge. That's why practice can make perfect. And, and I think that's part of, of this, this call to discipleship. You know, um, at New Hope, we, we, our, our purpose statement is being a Christ-centered community for all peoples, moving towards Jesus and taking others with us. And that moving part is in a present participle, meaning we ongoingly move towards Jesus by his grace and his strength for his glory. So that, that's what we do. But that, that's the idea. So for people who are driving today who are like, you know, PDM, I, I went to church yesterday. That's kind of my checkoff for the week. No, Jesus wants to know you every day. And, and because, because, um, as Martin Luther once said, they once asked him, why do you preach justification every week? He said, because my people leak. And because we leak so often, Bill, we need, we need to be reminded, even when we know truth, truth, even when known, bears repeating. So good. Pastor David Miles is my guest for the Monday Afternoon Mix. We're talking about who has your attention. Take a short break and we'll be right back with lots more. with Pastor David Miles. David, I'm in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16, 17, 18. I'll read it. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased." We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Yeah. I tell you, um, Bill, you know, when, we, when we're looking at this particular section of Scripture, it, it's, it's like the point is pay attention to the majesty of God's word in the living Christ. And I, what I like about this is that, that Peter hits upon two things. First, he hits upon the glorious sight, and then he hits upon the glorious sound. And so in the site, he, he, he first talks about what it's not. He says, we, and it's actually emphatic. He's like, we did not follow cleverly devised myths. And that's in the plural, meaning it's not a one and done. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so the apostles is what he's referring to. He says we're, we're not resting on myth. And this word is actually used uh, in Greek culture to kind of convey the various Greek gods. Now, the false teachers at that time, you know, they were assisting that the the apostolic teaching that it was myth, that it was allegory. They were they were saying, you know, no, this is all this is all you know made up. And it's you know, in particular, this whole you know Jesus returning. Uh, and there was a group of people called the Epicureans at that time, and they were teaching this type of thing. And, and actually, Bill, really, it might seem like then, but it's still even today. Because at that time, they were teaching, we reject any notion of God's providence. You know, they were more like, life is fate, you know. Whatever happens, you know, that kind of happens. And, you know, it's all by chance. And, you know, I'm moo and goo, and you can find my cousin at the zoo type of thing. <laughs> or the other thought was if they believed in God, they were kind of like, there's no punishment after death. You know, it was kind of this universalism and this thought, um, you know, even as I remember in college, uh, one of my classmates was like, you know, my God would never judge me for that, you know. And so we kind of have this thing where we've kind of created God uh, in our own image, and we, we set up these these various idols, and we, we still have this today. Um, you know, I got a, a note today from the Jerusalem Post, and uh, they were kind of having this moment um, from last week's um, CPAC over the whole Trump golden statue thing, and they were kind of like, what in the world? And people were like, you know, it's like this thing that, you know, when Moses and all that. So people are just kind of, and like we need to be, there's so many different things that we need to be, you know, careful about. But one of the things that's very clear about Scripture is this. Scripture, scripture doesn't have to be relevant. It already is, a, is relevant. It's the eternal living Word of God. And so things that the Epicureans did back then, we see it today. And in the same way with various idols. So again, Going back to what Peter said earlier, he said, I intended to remind you. I think it right to continue to remind you repeatedly because, as, uh, as Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. And so, you know, we're living in a time where, we, where we're seeing, you know, not only things with, with, with people's behaviors and decisions and calling things right that isn't right, but, you know, when, when people are praising this type of thing today— uh, you know, that's something where we have to say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. And this is why Scripture always trumps everything. Scripture has the final say in our life, no matter whether we're here in the States or as uh, one of my friends uh, who served in China or another couple that we support and we pray for that are in France. It doesn't matter the geography because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and the world and all who, all who live in it, Psalm 24, 1. And so... Peter's saying, look, we didn't follow, you know, any sort of cleverly invented stories. But what he says is this, on the contrary, we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. And what they're getting at is that their teaching and the word of God, uh, it's, it's anchored in history. And so, um, the part that they're talking about is Jesus's transfiguration uh, in Matthew chapter 17 and other parallel passages where Jesus is on the mountain with James and John and Peter, and the Lord descends in a cloud, and they see Moses, who represents the prophets, and Elijah and with Jesus, and they hear God say, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. 
And that's where they begin to hear the glorious sound, Bill. So, Bill, we have a faith that is more than well-grounded uh, in, in history and in the glory of God. Yeah, it's spectacular that we are not following clever, cleverly invented stories. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We heard the very voice, and we were with him on the holy mountain. I would call those eyewitnesses. I, def- I definitely would. And I, I mean, I, I like how Peter would put it, like, can, you know, just in a sanctified imagination way if Peter was alive. And, you know, Peter, Peter would have said something like, you know, you know, you heard that song. I heard it through the grapevine. And Peter would say, nah, friend, I heard it from the, I heard it from the source. Mm-hmm. And that's the facts, Jack. And that's the double truth, Ruth. Or as my son Jackson likes to say, facts over opinions. I love it. So, Smart kid. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, talk with a few minutes we have left, David, about uh, just paying attention to the, the meaning of God's word in the written word. Oh, yeah. So verse 19 is so cool because... You see Peter say, and we have this prophetic word. So after he says, look, you know, we've seen the word, we were witnesses to it. And he goes to say, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. He's saying based upon Christ's transfiguration and them seeing, it it wasn't just these kind of prophetic things out there. No, this is real. And he says, it's more fully confirmed. And then he says this, this phrase, to which you would do well to pay attention to. And so paying attention to God's, to God's written word, and we see this in three ways here. In this section, we see God's illumination, God's revelation, and God's inspiration. So illumination, Peter says, you know, we have this prophetic word. You do well to listen to it as a lamp shining in dark places. Um, Bill, I like to go running early in the morning, and sometimes I run when it's still dark out. And when I do, I need a headlamp, and that headlamp basically Uh, is a living walking out of Psalm 119.105 that says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But this morning I went running, and the rest of verse 19 comes up and says, As a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns. This morning when I was running, and it's after sunrise, I don't need a lamp. Mm -hmm. Because the, the, the lamp is inferior to the real thing. And in the same way, God has given us the lamp in his written word right now, but it says, until the day dawns, Christ is returning. And when he returns, verse 19 goes on, the morning star rises in your heart. Now, in Revelation twenty-two nineteen, Jesus is called the bright and morning star. That word actually in the Greek is where we get our word phosphorus from. And, and phosphorus is this highly reactive material that if you expose it to air, it catches on fire in a very bright way. I love that. So, so we have this illumination, and then we have this, this revelation. Verse 20, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So it, it's, it's not something made up. And so Millard Erickson, uh, in his, in his uh, book, Christianity Today, notes the difference between general and special revelation. So general revelation, uh, God uh, reveals himself in three different areas, um, nature, history, as well as humanity. But by special revelation, we mean God's manifestation of himself to particular persons at definite times and places, enabling those persons to enter into a redemptive relationship with them. And Bill, this is why Hebrews 1 says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophet. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he created the world. He's the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by his word. And after making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. And so, Bill, it's this beautiful thing of how Jesus is the living word and God has revealed him to mankind that we might have a redemptive relationship with him. Fantastic. David, thank you so much for the Monday Afternoon Mix. This has been an awesome study. I look forward to more of this next week. I do too, man. God's Word is Thanks awesome. So much. God, yeah, God is awesome. Pastor David Miles has been my guest for the Monday Afternoon Mix. David is a pastor at New Hope Church in New Hope, Minnesota, and also an adjunct professor right here at the University of Northwestern. We'll take a little break. we got professor and theologian Ken Samples for all of next hour. We're going to talk about the Ten Commandments and... How relevant are they today? That's all coming up next. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.